spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And in this episode, we speak to the communications officer of the Defend Our Democracy campaign to find out why they believe our democracy needs to be defended. Let's get started. The Caesar and Wolf Welsh Experience Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on SMWX. Thank you so much. And you've got a very good platform. So thanks for having this conversation with us. No, no, the pleasure is mine. And I'm told that my other name is First Gear Guy. Absolutely. That's how I remember you from my childhood. <laughs> Whoever gets that reference will get it. Whoever doesn't, let them... They're, yeah. not, they're not old enough. <laughs> no, thank you so much for, for joining SMWX. Um, the Defend Our Democracy campaign is a very interesting initiative. You've just come out of a major conference where you had some heavy hitting speakers and community organizations. What kind of crisis is it that you're responding to and are we in a crisis? So I think maybe let me first take us back to how the campaign came about. Um, And I think it sets the tone for where the country is at the moment. So, when President Jacob Zuma defied um, the Constitutional Court ruling for him to um, to appear and testify before the Zondo Commission, um, we felt that as the, the, the former head of a state who we believe exemplifies or must exemplify the Constitution, um, you know, that for us was a signal that perhaps there could be something wrong with our country if we have, you know, political figures who want to defy what is, you know, the apex court of our country, then we've got issues. And then that's when the groundwork began to call it out, firstly. So we called it out through a statement. We started mobilizing around the issue. And then, you know, various revelations that were disturbing from the Zondo Commission happened where we felt, okay, we then also need to campaign around anti-corruption. Um, and finding ways or at least influencing the public discourse around why corruption is a threat to our democracy. And ever since that's the work that we've been doing, we have um, done several work around the issues with PPE corruption, COVID corruption, and more recently in this year, we've done a bit of activism and mobilization around the issues or the health-related issues around this province, um, particularly around Johannesburg, Charlotte, Matleke, in specifically. Mm. I see. And so that led into your calling for this conference, this convention, which brought together various institutions. Exactly. So we felt that all of these issues that were bubbling up, issues of corruption, issues of Um, violence in this country, whether it is gender-based violence or the kind of violence that we see with xenophobia attacks, Um, even the July unrest, um, we felt that these all culminate in, you know, threats to our democracy and we felt that a conference such as the Conference for Democratic Renewal, where ideally we wanted to convene all sectors of society, so that includes civil society, organized business, organized labor, academia, Um, grassroots mobilizations, organized um, groupings, faith-based sectors to say, listen, we need to convene because there are evident threats to our democracy. Let's have a conversation around this. Following those conversations from the conference, 
um, was to say, okay, so we've had these conversations, we understand that our country is in a, a crisis, what do we want then to be our program of action in responding to these crises? And take us into your assessment of the crisis, because um, I watched some of the speeches at the conference, which are quite interesting to me, just analyzing where we are as a country. Um, and explain to us why you feel we're in such a, a dangerous place. So I think the speaker, the opening speaker, um, former minister or former deputy minister of finance, Mzibisi Jonas, outlined it very well. He spoke of four threats to our democracy and the first one um, being almost like this deliberate state-led um, demise to our democracy where you're seeing um, almost like a, just government departments, SOEs that internally are just with um, or, or they are encompassed by people who um, are deliberate in the demise of our democracy or they will create an environment in which um, service delivery doesn't happen, corruption takes place instead um, and things just then begin to collapse, right? Mm -hmm. So that was his first identification. The second one was almost like an undermining of the judiciary, more specifically our constitutional democracy and the constitution court itself and the constitution book itself as a piece of legislature for this country. Um, and then he spoke about, you know, other issues um, that, you know, uh, exacerbate the kind of situation that we're in. So identifying the July unrest, attacks on LGBTQI communities and other forms of violence. Um, you know, when you have almost like a, 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 a seemingly state collaborating with Operation Dudula, for instance, um, and almost, you know, exacerbating uh, xenophobia and all these other rhetorics around foreigners stealing jobs, um, he identified as threats to our democracy. And then there were other sorts of other issues where he felt, you know, we, you've got a, a, an electorate that is despondent and doesn't want to engage in electoral processes. And when you've got all of these issues in one pot, they don't look good, you know, and um, basically this almost sets the tone for where our country is. Our country is in a political crisis. I mean, you've seen yesterday um, with uh, former President Abumbegi talking about, you know, possibly having another, or at least in this continent, another example of um, an uprising similar to what we saw in Egypt. And so even with what you see with, you know, load shedding and all sorts of other issues of, you know, a decay in our public infrastructure means that, you know, there is a crisis in this country. And many times some of us feel it, it's almost intuitive, like nothing just feels good in this country. And so that's where we are at. Mm -hmm. um, we have young people who are easily dissuaded into things um, that also exacerbate a threat to our democracy. Um, young people who are unemployed, who are easily um, pushed to engage in, you know, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, just nothing seems right. Our education system doesn't seem okay. Um, so those are the kinds of issues that he highlighted in his opening speech that I think almost set the tone for where we are as a country. Mm. And having identified that political crisis, 
What are the plans going forward to address that crisis? Uh, do you see this um, convention as a potential starting point for a different political future, different political party? Do you think it's more a question of using the campaign to bring like-minded people together? Um, where to from here? I think all of the above um, issues you highlighted um, is one of the ways that we think um, we, I mean, firstly, we need to start having the conversation about a political crisis and identifying it as it is. It's a political crisis. Secondly, what we need to do is, you know, get people talking about it. So how do we influence the public discourse? How do we persuade people um, to identify what we are going through as a political crisis that needs response? But also, more importantly, how then do we get people to start mobilizing around these issues? So we can take a small issue like um, a pothole campaign and, and get that in a community, for instance, like in Fintown, to say, this is the kind of issue that we've identified in our community. But then how then do we draw it back to the broader um, political issue that um, in our local community that this is the issue, but this um, feeds into a, a greater issue around political instability in the country. Mm. And um, getting people to almost understand the two as one thing that needs response. So um, in the conference, you know, there were various breakaway rooms that looked at all of these issues, issues around jobs, issues around what the state capture was able to highlight particularly around corruption and how it's a threat to our democracy and, and, and other issues around how do we begin to reignite grassroots mobilization in communities so that people take ownership of their politics and use that as a power and leverage to seek for change. Um, and all sorts of other issues that we talked about that as an outcome to this conference felt, we felt that now we need to have a program of action. And with this program of action that we will launch um, in the next coming weeks, we hope that we can take it to all, um, you know, to the length and breadth of this country to say, listen, we know we have these issues, but here's a program of action. Can you work with us? Um, and we're hoping that, um, you know, through platforms like these, through even the media who we believe is a watchdog of our democracy must come to the party and help us um, really try and um, educate the public firstly, but also conscientize them to say that these are the issues and the only people who can, uh, you know, begin to solve them is ourselves. So will we see you contesting in 2024? No way. <laughs> no way. We, you know what? I, I believe that while we must seek political change and renewal, um, particularly in how political parties um, seem to almost toe the line of political mandate and, and begin to forget that the electorate put them there. Um, those, uh, perhaps that is where we need to start thinking about where political change can, can happen. Or maybe not reinventing the wheel, but thinking about seeing different faces within our political space. So if we see people like Songhez Wazibi, for instance, um, and all sorts of other um, independent candidates that could crop up and promise us perhaps a change that we kind of need that can respond to the political crisis, maybe that's what we need. But I think in addition to that, we do need, outside of speaking around like polit um, political accountability as a concept, how about 
um, perhaps developing mechanisms through which we can say, okay, President Sir Ramaphosa in the 2022 um, SONA, you promised us one, two, three. In your previous SONA, you promised us the same thing. The needle hasn't moved. How then do we say, okay, how do we think about having KPAs for them? And they're already there, but how do we hold them to them? And how do we get people from local communities to start doing that kind of work for themselves, amongst themselves? Um, starting from your councillor, starting from your um, your MPLs, all the way to your MP, all the way to the executive, how do we hold them accountable? Is the kind of mechanisms and the kinds of conversations that we need to start having. because. Political change is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it's not going to happen even in 2024 with the elections. And I think we need to be mindful of that. But I think, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And so we need to start thinking about these things, start mobilizing quite aggressively, um, particularly at community levels where service delivery happens the most, where you begin to feel the fruits of democracy is where we need to start mobilizing, where the hard work needs to begin. One of the potential criticisms of your campaign is that it is supportive of one section of the ANC um, and shields that section from criticism while placing extreme criticism on another section. How do you respond to that? So firstly, I think it's a perception, right? And not all perceptions are going to be true. And I think, you know, a small sect of society has that perception. And I think the work that the campaign needs to do is perhaps work at, um, you know, responding to that perception. But however, I do disagree with that perception. I do think particularly what, what, what we have done is highlight what the issues are, right? And whether the issues come from you know, the kind of political makeup that we have as a country, or whether the issues are specific to ANC outside of its factions. We've highlighted those issues. And we mustn't, we mustn't also try and sugarcoat that, you know, the ANC as a broad structure outside of its factions mm -hmm. isn't, you know, a contributing or a major contributing factor to the kind of political crisis we find ourselves in. And I think we've responded to that. However, I do take the criticism that sometimes, um, you know, given the, the members of the Secretariat in our campaign who, um, you know, are veterans themselves of the ANC and perhaps have political leanings towards a particular faction of the ANC, um, again, could feed into that perception. But is that perception true? I don't think so. And I'll give you an example. So recently with the Palapala issue, yeah, um, we've called it out. <laughs> we called it out and we rightfully have yeah. to call it out because I think there's a lot of red flags in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, um, you know, people continue to have that perception. People continue to call us out uh, based on that perception. But some of them haven't necessarily engaged with that statement and what it is we are calling for in that statement. You know, we are calling for the, the, the president, firstly, to um, recognize that whatever must have happened as, you know, someone who should embody the law of the country, he should have reported it but didn't, and that's a red flag. Um, we recognize how he's not taken the public into its confidence by 
firstly not wanting to account to the public protector or delaying um, and while that is maybe also you know an extension of ANC factions playing out you know at the end of the day we expect him to put the public first and when you have the first man of this country you know being accused of these things and him not wanting to respond in a way that's meaningful how is that any different from for instance Jacob Zuma defying the constitutional court ruling to appear and testify mm. and so we can't say the one is greater than the other and I think that's why we had to speak um, and call it out and ask for accountability in the ways that we could. And one of the crises, many crises in our political, on our political landscape is um, a chronic underrepresentation of young voices, young people in the highest decision-making structures. Um, I recently heard from the Department of Public Services and Administration that there are lots of young people in government, but the higher you go, the fewer and fewer they become to the point where they're like 0.3% in like the highest structures. Um, how do we make sure that we get the old out, quite frankly, mm -hmm. and bring in the new? I think you're right in saying like at the top there are no young people and if there are young people, um, they either had to struggle to get there, so the kinds of people that we see coming from like fees must fall and then trying to influence the space as they go up and perhaps try and make room for younger people to, to, to contribute. Sure. I do think part of another thing that we need to have a discussion around, particularly around the, the, the banner of political renewal and change is to begin to see our country's politics reflective of a young populace. And we're not seeing that, and that must change, and we must have conversations around that. I also do believe in almost like the politics of occupying space, and so perhaps that's what young people need to do as well, to say, listen, for the longest time as the majority populace in this country, you've forgotten us, and we've had these conversations quite extensively. Um, you're still not doing enough. Um, it's not enough to just have an NYDA and say, okay, but yeah, here is young people. It's, it's not enough. It needs to be reflective of, of, of every you know, sector of society. We need to see young people um, you know, spearheading a lot of the issues. And I'm hoping that as political change and renewal happens in the next maybe 10 years of this country, that young people will be at the forefront whether it is you know responding to climate change whether it is wanting to um to have a young person p potentially run as the president so the other day or is it two months ago i read an interesting piece by tessa Jones who talked mm -hmm. about um why are we so scared to even think about you know, having a young person become the president of this country. Like, why is it that we, every time you have the, 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 the picture of the idea of a president, you're thinking a man mm. and you're thinking an old man. Like, why is that? And maybe now in um, post-apartheid, post you're thinking a black man. Like, why mm. should that be a black old man? And I think these things must change. I think... Um, as we begin to, to rebuild our country, we also need to begin thinking about developing young leadership that can 
take up space in business, in, in labor, in the faith sector, um, even in the political, political space itself. I think that work needs to be done. I think the time for tokenizing young people or um, putting them there um, because things need to be representative from a superficial point of view is not enough. We need to hit the substance of why young people need to be represented in this country. Thank you for joining SMWX. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Ayeye, do not watch the first gear video. The Cizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Ayeye, ayeye.